This podcast was supported by the Mooney Valley City Council through the Clock Tower Centre Podcast Studio Residency Program. Do you have a brilliant idea for a podcast that you've been waiting to share with the world? Well, the wait is over, as our brand new podcast studio is now available for bookings at the Clock Tower Centre. The studio is free to book and available 8.30am to 5pm Monday to Friday. Visit clocktowercentre.com.au to book your free recording session. Due to the nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised as we will be discussing serious issues and content-heavy topics which may be triggering to some listeners. These topics may include depression, anxiety, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse and family violence. We believe in purity of expression, so some of our interviews may include coarse language. If you feel impacted by any of the themes and topics discussed here, please reach out to your GP or Lifeline on 13 11 14. There is also a full list of phone numbers and resources available on our website. Please note that thoughts expressed in this production are purely the opinions held by the interviewees and do not necessarily reflect the opinions held by the candle. With that, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to The Candle. Tonight's episode is a double-header, starting with our interview with Dilly Dave, Australian rapper, poet, and one of the founding members of Vibe Union, and followed by Boy Under the Bridge, also known as Ricky, poet, influencer, and author of Living in Cream. This interview was conducted over Zoom due to the current Victorian lockdown restrictions, and as such, this may deviate from the usual quality of our preferred production value. Now let's kick things off with Dilly Dave. Welcome, Dave, Dilly Dave, awesome Australian rapper and poet, and probably filled with a gazillion other talents. Thank you so much for being on The Candle Melbourne. As mentioned, it's a mental health podcast exploring the artist's relationship with their own mental health and also learning about how artists are surviving during this time. My name's Gia and this is Sasha, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Gio and, Gio and Sasha, for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you over a month ago at a spoken word night at Talking Blue. And yeah, thanks for summoning me today. Happy to be on board. Absolutely. Our pleasure. And that was pre-lockdown and we can see each other's faces at least for a little bit. Those were the days. Well, anyway, how are you? How are you coping with everything? Tell us about what's been going on. Mm. So what are we? This is like the fifth or sixth week of this particular lockdown. Um, yeah, like lockdowns have been complicated for me because I love having my own time to create in my own space. Yeah. I love having a certain level of isolation and my own time to to get into the the worlds of creativity. But um, I also am very fueled by social energy and interactions and going out and experiencing and performing. So for me not to be able to do that, it kind of takes away a lot of the drive and motivation to create in the first place. Cause I, I create to take it to the marketplace, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, this lockdown has been, ext- uh, it's been very hard on myself. Uh, it, I've probably for the first time ever entered a state a state where I've been able to, I guess, define it as like temporary depression. Um, you know, my normal work is, is being a sales rep and being on the road and talking with people and training people. And, you know, I guess there's a lot of, there's a lot of energy and vibes that happens uh, through that, through that particular job. And for me, not having access to that, and the stage yeah i've been sleeping in drinking smoking bloody getting myself into a into a horrible haze and then and then like in that haze being like david you're such an idiot why are you just you know why are you reacting in this way and then it's like well of course you're reacting this way blah 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 blah. but yeah i mean it's been messy Although in the past few weeks, I've been able to 
together some, uh, you know, some kind of daily practices that are, you know, like a handful of things that I can do to at least start the day and make a mark. So that has been helpful recently. So just, you know, reading for 20 minutes, writing for 20 minutes, you know, doing some exercise, working on projects and calling my friends is really what I've been doing. Beautiful. I think it's been so difficult for a lot of people, especially especially our extroverted friends. Mm. We, we see this, people feeling energized by crowds and being in environments where there's lots of people, lots of energies, and then being forced to adjust in situations where you just don't have that same connection and you seem like such a lively person. So mm. I can imagine that would have been an adjustment. Yeah, quite the adjustment. Um, uh, uh, God bless World of Warcraft and online <laughs> gaming and social environments. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's tough, but I mean, there's this really powerful quote that uh, Joseph Campbell has in one of his books. I think it's the uh, psychology of the future. And, and, and the idea of the quote is like, the psychotic drowns in the same waters in which the mystic swims with delight. And I feel like that's an interesting commentary on like uh, mental health and creativity. And there's this overlap between, you know, madness and, and genius. And, and, and we kind of, we go into the darkness to find the thing, to bring it back. And, and that's, I guess that's what I try and do through my creativity, my art, my raps, my, my, my poetry, it's like identifying these, the darkness, but being able to rearrange it in a way that's for us to like understand and share. Well, so, darkness is not necessarily a negative thing, particularly in the arts. I mean, a lot of people think that there's an issue with darkness because all our thoughts nowadays need to be light and fluffy and white right. light and all that. But that's and everybody, happening. sorry, just I, I just want everyone to hear the words of the Dark Lord Sasha himself because truly... <laughs> A, uh, uh, you know, you walk with grace in the darkness and it's seen and appreciated. So please. Well, thank you. Aww. Well, yeah, I've had a lot of, lot of uh, negative feedback over what I do, but it's not dark or evil. It just is. And I feel like if, if I can present this to people in a, on a stage in a way where people can see that through the fourth wall, they can make peace with their own issues with darkness as opposed to having to do it in a not so safe environment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great. You need that, need that quote unquote safe context, not quite safe. You know, you need to be like open to the dangers of the world to, to kind of be able to learn from them. But yeah, I mean, the dark arts is quite the art, you know, and you're right. You, I, the way that I look at, you know, um, dark versus light, blah, 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 blah. You know, the darkness for me is the shadow. It's more of the unknown, the, the, the fears, the things that need to be explored to gain, you know, more strength and understanding. It's not something to shy away from. It's something to shine your light on. Mm. And you can't have darkness without light and vice versa. Because if everything is light, then <laughs> what is everything? Well, speaking of um, exploration of darkness... How have you explored that within your own material? Because we were just listening to a, a few of your tracks there and mm -hmm. this amazing exploration of creativity. It's, it's a little bit wonderfully everywhere. How do you explore mm -hmm. darkness in your work? So I guess, I guess a lot of people who uh, engage with creativity or art or crafts or whatever it is, I think for most people, it's a way to deal with suffering, right? Like this, uh, everyone experiences a fundamental level of either discomfort or dissatisfaction or suffering in the world. So, you know, I, li I like, uh, I like the ideas of archetypes, you know, as I said before, I was speaking about Joseph Campbell, it's not the only, you know, kind of uh, template I use for the world, but um, in terms of archetypes, one of my favorite archetypes is the, the jester or the clown, right? So the jester finds himself in the, the court of the royals to give them relief by being self-deprecating, making fun of themselves, by being fools, but also 
providing insights that only they dare get away with because they have the permission from the crown. So I would say that, you know, I use my work to deal with my own darkness and the, and the way that I do that is to make light of it. It seems to be great material to work with because it's true and raw and it's right there in front of you. It's, it's a universal that you can share with other people. And if you engage it with the right level of vulnerability while you're doing, while you're writing it, and then also while you're like trying to perform it, then the chances of it brushing off on other people and having the desired effect is pretty good, pretty high. So it sounds like you're really into uh, Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung's theories. Yeah, I do. I like the psychoanalysts. Um, yeah, I think that's where I get a lot of understanding of, I guess, like, you know, the, my psychological positioning and in, in mm -hmm. things around me. You know, I think it's important for us to try to make any meaning that we can from what's happening around us. So, I mean, it wouldn't matter if you grabbed the Bible or, or like, or, or Jung's work or whatever it is, you know, that there's, there's always great uh, teachings and messages in all the written works around us. So. Hmm. So we were wondering as well, and we thought of this earlier, we were listening to the jester, by the way, just before we um, yeah. this interview, interestingly enough, we're wondering what your influences are, like in terms of music, in terms of poetry, mm -hmm. in terms of your general artwork. So there's a big overlap for me in terms of creative inspiration between the world of comedy and the world of music. So one of my first influences who was kind of like the person who kept me writing was 16 year old Bo Burnham. So we all know Bo Burnham now is this guy's blown up on Netflix he had a couple of Netflix specials, but the most recent one seems to be the most impactful probably you know a great kind of reflection on the sign of the times but Bo Burnham was the 16 year old kid who was in his bedroom who everyone would like joke about being gay or whatever you know would make fun of him as being a, a nerd outcast etc but he turned all of that hmm, like hatred or fuel into these funny bops like these fun songs that were there were intellectual, there, there was like wordplay, there was comedy, but there was also some like strong themes in there as well. So I would probably say that somebody like Bourbon and and also, you know, you you introduced me as an Australian rapper. That's that's fucking cool. And I and I love that now that you know people can introduce me as that. And I'm certainly like on the way to becoming that, but you know, like uh, when I was growing up, I wasn't listening to hip hop all the time. That only really hit me in like the early 20s um, through some friend influences. So I was already writing and doing the kind of stuff before I got into hip hop. I think hip hop was just like the format that I found worked for me to engage with and to share with other people. What was uh, interesting that you mentioned there about Bob Burnham taking all these um, these negative things and turning them into a as a better source for right. for himself it and going back to Jung, it reminds me almost and joseph campbell it's almost the idea of the alchemist mm, powerful He's yeah transmuting it into uh, into gold in that sense but i did want to ask you um briefly if we could touch upon this idea you mentioned about vulnerability in um your writing mm -hmm. and that um what what do you mean by that and what does that mean to you for me the easiest way to express it in what i do which is mostly kind of hip-hop rap stuff a lot of hip hop is based on the inflation of ego. Um, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, no, you got to destroy and kill your ego. You know, I don't necessarily believe that. I think you need to cultivate who you are um, mm. and not ignore that. But okay, being vulnerable, being vulnerable is just being true to yourself. And I guess vulnerability probably encompasses other people being privy to that, other people being privy to you being true to yourself. So I can't go and write a rap song about this, that, and the other that I don't have and that I'm that I am not 
I can't go and do that and claim that that's vulnerability while being on stage because it's not mm. me. It's not my words. It's not my truth. And I'm not showing people who I am. So a lot of the tracks I write about, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of uh, a cool little uh, demonstration that I, can, that I can give you. Give me one second. All right, let's see if we've got the name's Dilly D and I'm not brand biased. I use AI as a magical stylus. I lust for machine contact. I even sleep with my iPad. That's a true fact. So I'm talking about this weird relationship that I have with technology. And, but I'm not like gloating about anything. It's just like a funny thing to share. And people can be like, you know, I sleep with my iPad. And I guess, you know, that is kind of alluding to I'm engaging with sexual acts with my iPad or whatever it is, like whether it's watching pornography, I guess that's like what that statement is saying. It's a double entendre. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So people can engage with the reality of that and the humor of that. Um, And I'm just speaking a funny truth. Mm. So in terms of that, because I've come across this idea of vulnerability a lot in terms of different performance arts. And, you know, I've, I've worked as an actor for a long time and in different sort of scenes. And there's always this idea about how much should the performer be, be showing of themselves when they're performing? And I've yeah. seen, you know, for me, I, I, I have very uh, controversial views in that because I don't believe in that at all. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 that I was listening to the previous podcast episode mm-hmm. before, and I do like your angle. It's like, uh, um, like, is the point vulnerability and like how much of you are you showing, are you showing yourself? And yeah, I don't know, please, please continue that thought. And hopefully there's a question that I can answer. Well, basically it's just, I've seen a lot of people go through these, these scenes and this idea that they need to essentially bleed on the stage for people to take them seriously. Uh-huh. But I think people can still take you seriously if you just write well, or if you just produce something that is good, I mean, or something that's well-crafted the same mm-hmm. principle like the majority okay. of my stuff doesn't actually come from any real space or any real reflection most of the time it's a fictional thought or an idea that i wanted to expand upon and see what i can create from it sure so yeah i guess like you know how does the uh, how does the person who engages with you know science fiction or whatever you know uh reflect on being you know real on themselves i would say that yeah you don't have to go out and um crime bleed in front of the people to show yourself essentially what people want to see aside from like a good show or performance or work or piece or whatever it is they want to see the person up there being sure of themselves and like confidently delivering whatever it is they're doing they have to be seemingly embodying whatever they're doing so there has to be and, and i guess like maybe that's where vulnerability comes through like the the when you're when you're properly and confidently engaging with the the work that you've created and and maybe that's like where authenticity and that kind of stuff comes out of but yeah i, I don't know i tend to agree with you i think people get very attached to to words and the only way to figure out any of this is to uh, simulate and play on the stage. Just mm. continue to go out mm. and do it and test and feel it with your own hands, body, and mind. Yeah. Mm. Makes sense. How do you describe yourself as a performer? Um, energetic, engaged, quirky, odd. And like, I think, I think I'm leaning a little bit and now I'm talking about, uh, you know, performing a song compared to a spoken word piece, right? Obviously different mm-hmm. approaches, but yeah. Um, energetic, engaged, quirky, a little bit absurd. Awesome. So we'll see it all if we were to see you perform. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which you will. <laughs> oh, amazing. Can't Wonderful. wait did have a, a question for you we, we touched on vulnerability and we touched on your experiences being a performer in this idea of lockdown now yeah. this question is a little bit tricky if you don't feel comfortable mm. you don't have to answer but mm. I did want to ask you because a lot of people are listening and are going through a really tricky time what's mm-hmm. your relationship being like with mental health in general 
I feel like I've been a bystander to mental health my whole life. Um, you know, my mum has had bipolar and other things similar, mm. you know, for most of her life or, you know, I guess most of my life. Um, dad kind of similar, mm. uh, but I guess he works so much that uh, it's, I guess it can be hard to see as a kid what that actually looks like but probably from a bird's eye view looks like a bit more being detached or something. Um, my brother, Chris, who's three years older than me, he was born with a really severe cleft palate. He was born practically mm -hmm. with an, with a hole in his face where his nose should be as a baby. And his face slash nose was rebuilt. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, for his, for his whole child and teenage hood, you know, was going through surgeries, operations. So, I experienced not only my brother's suffering, but my family's reaction to that, my mum's um, bipolar and, and, and kind of manic behavior. I experienced that like all through my childhood. And I guess that gave me a perspective that, um, that I had things to be grateful for because my brother had this really fucking serious thing. And when you're a kid, if you've got any kind of, abnormality of the face you're a real target you're alienated you are ostracized yeah so I, I you know my brother and i went to the same school i experienced that like being associated um to my brother through because of he was known of that um so i myself really up until only recently could have would never say that I had probably experienced depression or anything like that, like a clinical depression, but I feel like I've always been adjacent to it and had a certain level of understanding to it. And I've always felt that my position or place in life is to kind of help relieve some of that suffering. I guess that's why I engage in the material that I do. Um, yeah. I mean, more recently uh, at the start of this year, uh, my partner, Jen, who I was with for, you know, three and a half, close to four years out of nowhere, broke up with me. I certainly mm -hmm. didn't see it coming. And that was probably, that was probably the hardest thing I've had to deal with, you know, ever. Because, you know, there was this, uh, we were working toward, well, in my mind, we were working towards the future. Like, there was these clear paths that were in front of me that like things had aligned in a certain way that felt right. And I was really happy, you know, taking part and engaging with what I had. I was filled with love. And like, even before then, like I'd never really felt jaded about, um, you know, dating or women or anything. I always felt like I've had a lot of room in my heart for that space. So yeah, having that taken away and then amplifying the loneliness that we're all feeling through mm. lockdown, that has, you know, that's kind of been the toughest period of time for me, uh, you know, over the past really six months, I guess. I can imagine. And I appreciate you exploring this idea of experiencing an adjacent experience to mental health and mm. almost being someone viewing other people's decline of mental health and experiences of mental health from almost an outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. Also considering that perhaps at times you might've had a slight carer role with caring for your family. Oh yeah. My capacity for emotional weight and baggage is pretty huge. I'm certainly an empath. I'm certainly here to share my time and energy with people who need um, but yeah, in terms of the, that family context, you know, it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm here to help everyone. It's like there was no other choice but to fall into that role, you know, as a child. Um, and it's tough. There's a lot of unexplained things that happen that as a kid, like, you know, trying to figure out whether it's normal or otherwise, you know, very difficult. Absolutely. Especially seeing everything from a child's perspective and a child's interpretation, which generally probably won't make much sense. Yes, no, especially if you're, 
you're very much into Lord of the Rings and <laughs> elf or something. <laughs> so having like this fantasy juxtaposition going on with this emotional wage of reality. Well, I can paint quite the picture for you too, actually. Uh, I was pretty lucky also growing up, you know, my family, we've always lived on like a little bit of land. My, my mom's always been like a, a horse rider, not competitively, you know, she was when she was like super young but um yeah so i've always had a bit of land and property so i would spend most of my spare time outside running around um creating bows and <laughs> um shooting <laughs> fake arrows through the spokes of my brother's bike to uh oh, nice. just mobilize him and uh <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, I guess rallying the elves against the eternal fight of the orcs, which uh, oh, yeah. never ends, right? That's the real important stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maybe exactly. saying that for all of us. <laughs> I was doing it for everyone. The weight of, my, the, weight of the world was on the shoulders for sure. <laughs> Amazing. So it looks like creativity was this secondary helpful force to you for quite a while, and you're even looking at this childhood of having Lord of the Rings and having arrows, but also having this emotional situation going on. It looks like creativity mm -hmm. has kind of always been there for you and with you. Yeah, Joe, I think that's a great point. I, I think the, um, the imagination, the fantasy, the escapism has always been elements of my life, potentially as a, potentially purely as a coping mechanism. And now I've just embraced it as is. Mm. Amazing. So you, you did mention this an unfortunate situation with your, your partner and now experiencing lockdown removed from that. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how would you say you've been helping yourself through this situation? Because either way, it's always going to be very tricky. Breakups are difficult, but especially during lockdown, mm -hmm. during a pandemic. Look, you know, you got to you got to sit with the sadness. You got to sit with some sorrow. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can run away from these things and anything you do to help you run away from this thing temporarily is going to really just shoot, shoot you in the foot. And I'm talking about vices, et cetera. Um, yeah. I would say, you know, engaging with, um, with acts or ideas of forgiveness of yourself and this other person, I think is very important at some point. Um, you have to kind of reconcile with reality and then find something in the future to work towards. So for me, um, you know, when you guys call me doing, call me doing the spoken word, this was, you know, months after it had happened. So I, I feel like I went stronger into the world of creation, um, not just uh, as a distraction, but to imbue my life with meaning and importance and a, a reason to get up every day. Because, you know, when you're with somebody and you truly love them, there is a level of uh, contentment that, you know, that you're wrestling with as a creative you know, it's, it's almost like sometimes it's easier to create being an outcast than being assimilated, you know? Yeah, I can agree with that. Mm. Mm. Okay. So there's a lot of people listening, as mentioned, and hopefully we'll have more people listening that are possibly mm. experiencing similar things at the moment. What would mm -hmm. you want other artists that are going through a tough time to know and to maybe consider at this time? It's tough. You know, I think people sometimes consider all creatives to be, you know, in the same camp or group, but we're all so different, you know. Um, there's the recluse and then there's the public speaker, you know. I'd say it's good to engage in daily practice of something associated with what's meaningful for you, your art. And I'm not saying that the object of this is to become a prolific anything, 
what it is, it's like you got to touch base with yourself every day and continue to define your direction. An easy way to do that is really just like having a journal, having a Word document on your Google Drive to to add to. Um, but yeah, I think from a creative perspective, from my perspective, if I don't keep a tr if I don't keep track of myself. That's a problem, um, including thoughts, thought patterns. So just engaging in a daily practice of writing. And even if you end up just writing, you know, like three or four sentences, what you're doing, if this, if you're engaging with a creative process, what you're doing is leaving imprints for the future. So once something is written down, you've kind of marked it not only in your mind, but in the real world. And the more you do that, the more it'll emerge in the real world is like a bigger thing, you know? So all these imprints become pieces of whatever puzzle you're kind of working on. So that's what I would suggest. It's like touching base with yourself and leaving imprints for the future. Well said. I like that. Yeah, well done. Uh, so with your, your writing process, did, mm. did you start working on poetry and writing yes. lyrics at a younger age from your lame, lame poetry most of my life? So, like, my mum went to uh, a grammar school. She was well-spoken, came from a well-spoken family. Dad, not so much, but, like, has mm. his own natural uh, intuition with the world. He's very much a plant man. Um, I always enjoyed English. My brother, also extremely intelligent. What happened, as, I guess, like, as a byproduct of his byproduct of his circumstance was he spent a lot of time reading in the library just soaking up information so like conversations that would happen in our family you know that it was like a i sensed a a, a magic around language early on um whether that was through books myself reading or just the way that like my family you know engage with each other but from, yeah, pretty, I would say from 13, 14, 15, I, I, I acknowledged words as spells mm -hmm. and the importance of being able to wield them in a particular way. So, mm. yeah. So who are your poetic influences? Yeah, this is, what, this is very funny. Um, I'm also a video producer as well and have been making music videos for the scene since 2013. I've made about... 25 to 30 music videos for oh, wow. and same with my video work like my poetry i could barely even name you a poet i don't read anyone else's poetry i couldn't give a shit about anyone else's poetry unless i go to a spoken word night and listen and feel it and 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 sense it in that moment otherwise mm -hmm. to me sure the words can look nice in a page but it's just never really been my thing so i, I couldn't tell you like what <laughs> what poetic influences I've had. Same I, I with, love your honesty, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And kind of same with my video work. I mean, like I couldn't rattle off direct directors and things. I understand the termin the terminology and the language. You know, I've did some I've done study in the area, but fuck, you know, I I'm one of these people that, you know, I kinda I kinda line it up in the moment so it's good to go and then we're going. You know, and, and yeah. that's 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 the process for me. Just mm -hmm. getting in that moment to go and then see that to the end. It's interesting what you said about poetry then, because um the poet Charles Bukowski said something very similar at one point. Right. Um, yeah, he said um poetry, just like any other art form, is as vibrant, but unfortunately I feel like a lot of people have, have taken away the vibrancy of it. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I I love the word vibrancy in that context. Um, I mean, the thing is like a lot of the times for me when I engage or consume poetry, it's all about delivery. Mm -hmm. I guess that is like a callback to what we're talking to before about like this idea of vulnerability or authenticity. Even if this person comes off as being themselves and not being themselves, that's enough for me. I like to, I like to see and experience people being comfortable in their own skin. Mm. Yeah. 
Can I ask you about the name, Dilly Dave? Dilly. Yeah, it's, it's actually a good question. People would, uh, people would not think that it's a good question, but it's a great question. So everyone knows a Dave. Everyone knows a David. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, David's a u- ubiquitous, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was 18, 19, uh, one of my mates, one of my, f- my brother, Chris, his friend, Ben, I stole, not stole, but kind of like <laughs> hijacked my brother's friend. He would play basketball and I played basketball. And sometimes we would kind of shoot with each other and hang out. And he was like, you know, a cool older influence on me. He wasn't a good influence on me, but he was like <laughs> a cool older person. Um, I ended up playing on his basketball team in a team where there was two other Davids. So there's three Davids. We have to establish nicknames. Dilly was not the first nickname that was gave, given to me. First, they trialed Danish. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you guys can see and everyone can see, but I don't want to wear. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be everyone's sweet little Danish. You know, It's, <laughs> it's tough. I'm happy to be one person, sweet little Danish. <laughs> not everyone, not the world, sweet little Danish. Exactly. There's only so many bites out of that Danish that, before it's gone. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, so Ben Gunn, like, out, you know, out of nowhere, you know, started calling me Dilly. I was like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, Dave, silly, Dilly, you know, it doesn't have to just be silly, but I guess that's like the main connotation behind it. It's silly, light, and fun. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I think we, we've been wondering, <laughs> where, where does the dilly come from? Hey. It's like some slang reference that we just don't know about. No, no. Uh, no, it's not. I mean, it's funny because there's other... I've looked up on SoundCloud and there's like another Dilly Dave that, <gasps> or Dave Dilly that raps. So mm. I'm going to have to go to the States and call them out and see if we can do a, a battle or something yeah. to try and win the name. See who finally gets to be crowned Dilly Dave. That's it. The Dilly Death Match. Yes, the Dilly Death Match. What everyone's been waiting for. This season, two enter, both idiots. One emerges the victor. Still an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fucking good times. Well... Can we please have the privilege of hearing some Dilly Dave stylings? Yes, let's do it. So today I'm going to perform a track called Pixelated. I was thinking about doing Jester, but I feel like Pixelated right now, just in terms of uh, the idea behind the hook, kind of resonates with with me the most. Mm. It's a good, um, good taste of my EP, which is called Four Cents. Mm-hmm. on spotify uh, i appreciate you two for checking it out the producer is this great mc producer from melbourne called Sixpence, and yeah this track is called pixelated produced by him the track was mixed mastered by wrath who runs the or helps run the talking blue night um put on by vibe union so yeah let's do it sweet Three. take it away Hey, oh, yeah. yeah, pixelated, just another avatar faded, no connection, just jaded, I'm just jaded, yo, well fuck it, I'm a cult classic, so charismatic. I dig up a mom call to action, rhyme come distraction. You can point your cult at me or a fucking magnum. I attract like a magnet. This is my decree. No pills, just bars on a page. I'm so ill that the casket waits. On edge, so I gotta jump the stage. Tension heavy, settle down, I'm a paperweight. A lot of people pay to play. Playwright, I just write the play doh. Hey. I just write the play, 
pixelated just another avatar faded no connection just jaded hey just jaded Big mouth, strong vibe, veggie mind, look the part, pick apart, Napoleon Dynamite, blow the whole scene apart with my dance moves. I can't actually dance. Call me Jesus, my Jesus, so pleasing, you wish you could steal it. I'm primitive, limited, living life in the box. Pandora, gotta get outside like Dora, the explorer, nice guy, Sam Wise. I share the low with Frodo, kick it with orcs and hobos. What is it? The class clown that turns frowns in entertainment. The crowd stays contained as I continue to slay. Just jaded. I'm just jaded. Hey, hey, hey. Pixelated, just another avatar faded, no connection, just jaded. I'm just jaded. Just jaded. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. That was awesome. That was great, man. Thank you for that. Oh, you two are most welcome. I'm glad it came through. Oh, it came out through so well. Like the sound sounded great. Your performance, well done. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for giving me the opportunity, guys. I know where to share myself. <laughs> <laughs> of course. How did that feel for you? Yeah, good. Uh, don't worry, I've performed in my bedroom a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it feels good performing for a reason and you guys have got a good reason and I'm super happy to be on board and I feel good and I write stuff that I enjoy to perform so wonderful well we have been so happy to have you on where if our audiences want to learn more from you where can they find you what are your socials mm, so I've complicated things a little bit online uh-huh. Oh, okay. So Give people a challenge. Okay. <laughs> uh, arguably, arguably, I still haven't figured out whether it's Dave Dilly or Dilly Dave. On some platforms, it's one. On others, it's the other. Some could argue, David, very easy to change that. Me, I haven't changed that yet. So uh, if you look up Dilly Dave or Dave Dilly, either either, neither neither, doesn't even really matter. You'll find me, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube. You don't worry about Facebook. It doesn't, it's not even a thing, is it? Well, we'll, put links, we'll put links in the description anyway. Please. Also, um, Vibe Union, I'm a big part of Vibe Union, a music collective, but we do a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, go check out Vibe Union. They actually are good to follow. They've got a lot of live streams, open mics, spoken word. Any other artists, you don't have to be from Melbourne, but if you want to get on and do an open mic, either as a musician or a poet, I would hit up Vibe Union. They'll put you on. Perfect. Well, Wonderful. Thank you once again for your honesty and for being so generous with your time and your work. We've appreciated your company and your voice so much. Thank you. Thank you, Gio and Sasha. Much love. Appreciate you to both. hope you enjoyed Dilly Dave's insight. Coming up is actually the first interview that we conducted. Our interview with Boy Under the Bridge, Ricky. This interview was recorded prior to lockdown. Ricky, firstly, thank you so much for joining us on this project. The Candle aims to provide a platform for Melbourne artists of all disciplines to share their relationship with mental health. We are so pleased to have you as one of our first few interviewees at the infancy of this project. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, first question. Your alias of Boy Under the Bridge draws in curiosity. In my research, I read that this is inspired by the idea of the inner child. Can you speak more about who Boy Under the Bridge is? Sure. Well, um, not many people know this, but originally 
I was going to call it Man Under the Bridge. Oh. I remember just sitting on my computer on WordPress going to open a, new, like, open a blog and I was like, I need to come up with a name. And the bridge was a place in Brisbane that I used to go and spend a lot of time under. It would be a place where I would um, have time to myself to think about life, the world, and really sit in solitude. Sometimes I'd take friends there and we'd have these great conversations about who we are, where we're going. And so I was like, oh, yeah, the bridge, that's something I can use. But then... Um, Boy just had a bit of a role with the, I think it's innocence, um, Boy Under the Bridge. So I was, went with Boy, but um, over time I realised, like, at that time I didn't know about the concept of the inner child, but then mm-hmm. over time I learnt about that and I saw the pieces strangely connect. And then um, I'm in my 30s now, but um, Boy Under the Bridge represents that essence that I had when I was a younger person, you know, like hope optimism optimism curiosity about the world and I feel that as we get older and going through life it's easy to become beat down by things Mm -hmm. that happen to us and we can lose touch with that sense of ourselves that you know is excited about life and the possibilities and um yeah and likes to have fun and play around so yeah um keeping boy under there really helps me stay connected to that and also every time I'm around and I see children I'm reminded about the way that they act like what boy under the bridge represents and and youthfulness that I believe we all all still have wonderful so quite a journey through insight yeah amazing now you're quite interdisciplinary in your platforms amongst delving into avenues such as blogging poetry and even engaging in a budding counseling career Mm -hmm. so from marketing to counseling what has drawn you to work within the mental health community space? Personal experience. I find mm. with a lot of people that I've met that work in mental health, it's kind of like it stems from their own experiences, usually pretty challenging mm. ones. And it's kind of like, you know, you go through through so much, you're like, Ugh, I'm dealing with problems, my own problems. I may as well find a way to get paid out of this. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really been personal experience and that drove me to want to work in the nonprofit sector and then I was pretty lucky. I was able to kind of pivot from the corporate world and work for some leading um, nonprofit organisations like Reach Out in Sydney, Beyond Blue here in Melbourne. Uh, but then afterwards, after a while, I was like, I feel like I'm better off not behind a desk but out there engaging with people. I was also diagnosed with ADHD at 30, Mm. which made me really consider, like, finding my environment where things came naturally. And as a people person, that just seemed like a pretty much a given. And given my history, like, mental health and things I was learning just for my own sake as well. So, Incredible. So it sounds like you'd be someone with a lot of high empathy and high emotional intelligence. Yeah, it's it's a blessing and it's a curse, (laughs) I could say. The glory of insight when it comes to our own mental health. Yeah. Um, so there, there are quite a few theories surrounding um, a correlation between a possible link between the creative mind and mental health. Mm-hmm. What links have you seen between art and mental health in your poetry, for example, or in the arts in general? Yeah, there's actually a little excerpt I can read from a book. Phenomenal. Um, this book called, it's called Dark Nights of the Soul by Thomas More. And this, chat, this little section is called Creativity, the Child and the Sure-Footed Goat. Everyone, without exception, has what Jung calls an instinct for creativity. You must find a way to put yourself out into the world and be present as a unique person. You don't have to be an artist, but you do have to shape this world, at least in a small way, according to your own talent and vision. If you don't exercise creativity, you might feel depressed and unfulfilled. On the other hand, even if you try to be creative, you may find yourself in another tunnel of frustration and disillusionment. It is said that artists are born under Saturn. This means the source of their creativity is also the root of their suffering. In the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, Saturn was believed to be the patron of both male colony and artistic inspiration. The creative life is not all positive. If you're going to risk creative expression, you may have to deal with Saturn, his male colony, his coldness, and his constriction. And with that, I, you know, what I said before about it being both a blessing and a curse, Mm. um... It's really been, I think, creativity and sensitivity has made me do what I do. Um, but I definitely noticed if I don't express it and adhere to its call, I do pay the price. Like, when I lived in Sydney, 
I didn't really have a great home base, so I didn't really have time at home and make time for my creativity. And I really, I really, really struggled. Um, and it can be tough because sometimes you think, what's the point of being creative if this is not my, my job? Um, mm. But lately, especially this year, I've really been coming to understand that um, it's so much more about how people respond. It has its own benefit for my own well-being. So I'm seeing it like exercise. Like not everyone who exercises is going to be a professional athlete, mm. but you do it because it's good for your well-being and your health. So that's kind of how I'm looking at creativity now. Wonderful. And thank you for sharing that, Exo. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, leading to our next question, mm-hmm. you've, you've covered quite a bit there, but I did want to ask you, you've been so transparent with your mental wellness journey. Do you have any experiences that you feel comfortable sharing about your own journey with navigating your own wellness? Yeah, I think, you know, there's so much to talk about there, but definitely owning my my mental health um, experiences and writing my book my first one was a big piece and like my I guess coming out story of being like yeah like I have challenging times and this is a lot that goes on behind the scene that you don't see and also I think just coming to understand that it is a part of who I am like I think there was always a time where I thought like hey one day I'll get over this and I'll sweep it on the rug and it'll be all behind me but I eventually came to see that, like, hey, this is part of who I am and um, no longer, I guess, no longer um, disowning parts of myself, like, in those mm-hmm. times where I'm struggling or feel certain things, like, those part, there are parts of me that need compassion. Um, and that's probably been the biggest thing. And, and doing my Born the Bridge and being online is a very good part of owning owning that absolutely um, even if people weren't necessarily looking or responding it'd still be me um taking ownership and um yeah being being okay absolutely so what are your views around help seeking and accessing mental health support services and why is it so important for you to talk about this issue on your media platform um yeah i think like the services service services are great but um it's hard like finding appointments and speaking with someone and then like you get like an hour and then the cost of it and there's a lot to it um so I think services are great but um what I really feel is that it really comes down to being willing to take ownership and do the work um in in your day-to-day life that's where a lot of results are going to be seen and I think because people spend so much time online they're able to digest and get access to information and follow people that kind of help them along their journey so it doesn't just have to be this thing they do for one hour of the week um it can be part of their the day-to-day experience and i i go for the transparency because it helps people to know that they're not the only one but Mm. also um we have so much to learn from one another like when i started every time in my experience like every time i've been vulnerable and open people respond to that um, there's this quote by Ram Dass that's um, we're all just walking one another home I really feel that beautiful now unfortunately last year was quite trying for a lot of people and in particular artists were hit hard yeah now what impact did COVID have on your work if any yeah well I mean COVID took away a lot of my um my self-care outlets like heading into nature seeing my friends uh exercise and go to the gym is a big part of one of mine and you know work and everything like like a lot of people like I had lost a lot there mm-hmm. um and COVID then drove me back to my artwork which kind of I hadn't been as active in um especially my my poetry pieces that I stick up around the place and because of the situation that everyone else was finding themselves in there was a need for my my artwork like I started posting them up which I'd been doing since 2015 but um because a lot of people were spending time just walking around the neighborhoods they were able to notice them and actually people would say like hey you know I've been walking around the neighborhood a lot lately and I've been seeing your pieces and they've really like lifted my spirits Mm. um so that that kind of propelled me to do more of it and then next thing you know the paper picks up a journalist picks up on it I'm in the paper and then I'm on tv and then I'm on the radio so COVID was horrible, but in the same time, 
I'm kind of thankful for it in presenting like a pretty dusty, dank canvas for me then to go paint. Incredible. It's amazing hearing the different experiences different artists have had during that year. So you've done some work in the mental health space with young people. What have you noticed about the next generation's perception of mental health? They're definitely more aware of it. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, I didn't even know what depression, anxiety were, those things. Um, Younger people are definitely more, like, they're more articulate in the terms. Um, They're more open talking about it. I can definitely see a lot of um, media and, like, artists kind of really emphasise a lot of talking about emotions. Um, Things like memes, like, you know, memes about depression and all these things, like, they, in a light-hearted way, encourage conversations. Uh, but at the same time, I think that they're dealing with more challenges because of social media and um, the toxicity around that. It's a very challenging thing to navigate, especially when you are so young. I mean, when you're in young, you're already trying to figure out how you fit into the world, and that usually starts at, like, 18 or whenever you enter the world. But now that is being brought down to 10 years old or whenever someone picks up a phone for the first time or logs onto some sort of social media platform, they're finding themselves... You know, amongst this huge community, huge world, and a lot of influences, a lot of mixed messages, a lot of advertising. Um, so, yeah, I think it's um, it's it's getting better, but at the same time, it's they're being presented with more more challenges. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing to be able to experience that change in the younger generation. Yeah. Um. So, to quote your book, "Living in Cream." Once you recognise you're the author of your life, your days become pages. How have you taken ownership as an author of your own narrative? Of my own... Narrative. Narrative? Um, definitely by keep keeping writing. Um, and I also have a consistent journaling practice as well. Um, even if I'm not, I'm not posting on social media or writing something for the world, it's still important for me to check in with myself. Um... And also just pursuing therapy for myself as well. I thought that since I'm starting to be a therapist, you know, I can, <laughs> I can therapize myself. But um, that's not the case. And, mm. yeah, I've started to see um, a guy in North Melbourne, Pete Cole, and he's, he's been great. Incredible. Um, and it made me realize, like, oh, you can't do this on your own. It's good to kind of have that, that environment. So that's been a big, big one for me as well. And I'm already seeing the benefits stepping out from it. Absolutely wonderful. So the next lot of questions are about your poetic adventure and your style. How would you describe your relationship with poetry? Yeah, I, um, I'm trying to um, separate myself from it and treat it like its own entity and um, not be so demanding of it, like kind of seeing like creativity as this wild horse that, you know, if I try to tame it, and contain it that would be to rob it of everything in it that I admire so when the inspiration strikes I'll just write if it's not there I won't force it um and that's that's been um that's improved my relationship with it uh being online has presented some challenges because then I can get attached to like how many likes or comments did it get how are people responding so I'm trying to pay less attention to that and pay more attention to like how I feel in the process of writing and creating the things that I want to want to create wonderful so, Ricky, how did you get into poetry in the first place and what has inspired you to physically post lines around Melbourne with the aid of a typewriter? I started... My writing started with longer posts and blogging. Um, but when I got an Instagram account, I noticed that there was this kind of demand for short-form pieces. Um, and at the time, a lot of people were using these kind of, like, tacky typewriter fonts. And I just looked at that and I was like, well, if you're trying to recreate something, why not just do the real thing, like get a typewriter? Um, And so I went looking for one, but also at the time I was in Sydney and Sydney has a lot of street art and I was really inspired Mm -hmm. by that and I wanted to contribute something. So I thought like I could just type up little pieces and put my words around. I tried doing paste-ups and drawing, but I I just realised that wasn't my thing. Um, So, yeah, I started typing up these snippets and leaving them around. But also at the same time, um, Sydney was a pretty tough time for me and I'd find myself walking 
the same loops to work and home and to the shops and really stuck in my head and you know typing these kind of things were messages that I also needed to hear and so I was putting them out for myself but also because I thought other people out there would be feeling the same mm-hmm. and also as I was walking home and around I could still see them and come across them and be like oh that's a reminder for myself but um yeah that's that's how I got into it and then in Melbourne I kept going with it when I moved here but um yeah it was during the COVID pandemic like I said that there was a need for it a lot of people were spending time in the streets and really going through tough times so that's kind of why I um, really pushed to do more of it then. Incredible and what has surprised you about the reaction from the public? like, Like a lot of creative people I'm stuck in this place of like am I any good and um, <laughs> like uh, I don't really have the ability to really see myself I think subjectively um, so the fact that people even like it I think is a surprise but also that um, even outside of the responses on like you know likes comments and that those kind of metrics there's like there's people out there that I've connected with like yourself included through Instagram where um, you actually make meaningful connections um, that's been the biggest surprise at like the opportunities it creates absolutely now what do you want the world to know or see within your poetry I think when someone's walking down the street and they're kind of stuck in their head ideally I want them to be hit with a moment of like synchronicity synchronicity um, serendipity even that I want them to feel something and feel a sense of hope and the fact that they came across this thing and it's like there. Like I often have people message me about particular ones around breakups. Um, mm. there, I think there's one and it's um, there's one that says like every time a heart breaks, fate starts another jigsaw and also um, mm. you don't miss them. You miss a period of your life that they were nested in and there's a difference. It's that even if they come back, they're not bringing back then with them. These ones have been surprisingly, like, really um, impactful for people. And they um, they say, like, hey, I just saw this. And, like, I was I just went through a breakup or I'm going through a breakup no right now. And it's, it's what I needed. So I, I want people to feel, feel that. Yeah. Amazing. And what advice do you have for emerging poets? Um, emerging poets... Just learn how to navigate the space of social media and um, even though you want a response, like, be okay with not having that, being, being able to validate your own work and enjoying the process. Um, and if you really love it, you'll just be in it for the long haul and um, the fact the moment you write something or put it down on paper or jot it down on your phone, that's all, that's, in essence, that's the spirit of it. Um, it's not about the branding and everything else, and that's not as important. So, yeah, just just keep just keep keep working at it. Express yourself. Take time to f- discover your creative style. What works, what doesn't, and um, yeah, put aside the things and ideas of like making it and getting published. Just just think of what you do as a, a way of showing up in the world and a way of being. Fantastic. So, my final question: mm-hmm. You have a book coming out. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, well, um, I wrote live, my main title, Living in Cream, which you spoke about, and then the sequel to that is called Home, and that covers the years after my um, after Living Cream. And then, so that's in the works, and also Texture of Words is a collection of my poetry pieces, and it's photos of them stuck up on different textures, and it's going to be a hardcover photo kind of a photo book for your coffee table um so in the process of putting that all together uh but at the moment now i've recently got into being more having more of a presence on youtube so i think that's probably taken priority so uh there's always things going on <laughs> but um i really look forward to eventually when when, it, when it's time it'll it'll come out yeah brilliant and where can we see more of boy under the bridge just boyunderthebridge.com and then from there you'll get pointed to all my social media links on Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter. I 
definitely will not open a TikTok ever. I hope <laughs> I don't. I just, ugh. but you know, um, so I think I'll leave it at those platforms. But yeah, my, my website is where I have the most of my longer pieces, which are maroon depth and they take more time to go through and they take more time to write. But I, I think that's the heart of the experience with people reading and me as a writer. Amazing. Well, before I let you go, do we have any other questions that you can think of that you've been inspired by? Yeah, I actually have one one brief question. Sure. Um, you mentioned in in response to the question about um, emerging poets. Yeah. Um, you focus on the branding and the marketing side of it. What about form and technique? What do you feel about that? What inspires you in terms of form and technique, and how important do you think that is for inspiring poets? Um, yeah, I, to be honest, I never actually studied the the nuts and bolts of it. It just came naturally but I, I recently just bought um, Mary Oliver's poetry handbook and um, I think when you when there's something that you do like or in any sort of creative field like when there's something that you are interested in you can kind of dissect it a bit and find out what are the parts that work um, but at the same time learning nuts and bolts is great but um, be prepared to then throw it out, out the window and then take pieces and this and that and I think the same applies with grammar because some people can be really um, particular about the use of a semicolon and this and that. But ultimately, it's about what's been communicated and felt. Mm. So if you want to experiment and try new things, go for it. If you like what you've heard, please follow us on all the socials and our website, and we will hopefully see you back here very soon. If you need support please don't hesitate to contact your GP or Lifeline on 13 11 14 because working in the arts shouldn't be like lighting a candle at both ends and looking after your well-being is important. I'm Gio. I'm Sasha. Thank you for spending the day with us. This has been The Candle Podcast.